Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to Of The Essence with Liz. I am so excited to be back with you all, as always, and I have a few thoughts to share. Just recently, I've been thinking, I don't know if it's, you know, maybe Scorpio season or what, but I've just been, you know, questioning everything, like, what am I doing, like, should I keep doing the podcast? And if no one's sharing it, like, is it still impactful? Is it still meaningful? And I think that I am my own biggest critic. And I think even if I'm not like expanding my community as much as maybe I hoped I would, or I'm not getting as much feedback as I thought I might, it is a meaningful creative outlet for me. And also, you know, even if I'm not making money, I do think that it is still really meaningful for me. Um, but I did have a moment there where I was like, damn, like maybe I should just quit because it doesn't seem to be growing. It kind of felt like I reached a stagnancy. And there's all these like, you know, big names in podcasting and not like I thought I was going to be one of them, but I, I don't know. I got down on myself recently. So anyway, I am here to say that I am going to keep doing this because it is a passion of mine. And also that being said, I do love to hear from you, even if it's like a quick note via Instagram, a quick text, like it does really mean a lot to me. So it would mean the world to me if you would reach out got interrupted for a second there. But anyways, it really does mean the world to me if you're listening to this and it resonates with you. And if it um, if you think of someone and you share the episode, I just love hearing from you all. I love connecting with the community too. So anyway, just wanted to put that out there and know that if anyone else is doubting themselves or what they put out into the world, that it is natural and we all do it and I have to remind myself to celebrate my wins that's one of the things I've been working on for a while now and it actually helps to foster trust in yourself which is another motivator to do that so so anyway my guest today is a queer trans non-binary coach facilitator and visual artist based in Brooklyn they support folks in cultivating more joy creativity and connection in their everyday lives Maz grew up in a large Lebanese family in St. Louis. Their path has led them from milking cows to nannying to studying art at Parsons to being a teacher and space holder. Maz's work focuses on embodied liberation, especially around authentic expressions of gender, sexuality, and spirituality. Given their unique perspective, they know how to hold rooted transformational space for embodied alchemy. This was such a fun conversation. We talked about all sorts of topics from how Maz went from sex worker to sex coach, the erotic blueprint, connection conversations before becoming intimate with someone, what they do to help their clients in their sex coaching practice, what it was like growing up Catholic and coming out to their family, as well as much more about gender identity, gender roles, sexuality, and spirituality. So I think you all are going to love this episode. And again, I would absolutely love to hear any feedback you have. And I know that Maz would too. So reach out to us. Let us know how this episode is resonating. And 
Um, I know that I was a little delayed in getting this episode out, so it is a little past the workshop that Maz talks about in the end. But if that does pique your interest, then definitely reach out to them. I know Maz is still offering a course towards the end of November as well and possibly even other workshops that I wasn't told about. So definitely reach out and I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Maz George with us. Welcome. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, I'm excited to have you. And we've connected recently on the Holisticism Hub. So little shout out to Holisticism for connecting us. And would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I live in Brooklyn. I'm an artist, a coach, and a facilitator. I've done many, many things in my life, but um, right now I'm, if anybody's a, a human design baddie, I'm a 3-5 emotional manifester. So, you know, I've lived a lot of lives already. And right now I am a sex coach and a creativity coach. And I also teach classes on DEI to companies around trans safety, things like pronouns, best practices, things like that. So yeah, that's just a little bit about me. No way. That's so crazy. You're a 3-5. I'm a 3-5 too. I always felt like we needed a support group. <laughs> we really do. It's what is it? The great life experimenter. <laughs> yes. Like we're all living many lives and also like maybe even like a hobby swap. Like, hey, I finished my photography career. Do you want all my stuff? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Because like my dad has made fun of me over the years. He's like, is this just a phase or is this going to be like something you're actually going to stick with? And I'm like, I, hey. I love that. I remember calling my mom a few years ago when I decided to be a coach like four or five years ago I was like mom I found my calling and she was like Maz you always have no calling and I was like I know and I always answer it <laughs> and I always go into it fully until no. it's done <laughs> yes I become an expert and then I I drop out I'm done <laughs> I love that so much um how did you first get into sex coaching mm. I love this question so I was in art school in New York City I went to Parsons and um if you spend some time in New York, especially in college, you're going to notice that a lot of people engage in sex work. Um, it's just a part of the culture here. It's been my experience knowing a lot of people who are sex workers. And I ended up dating someone who was living in a polyamorous, kinky commune or like community house and invited me to a sex party, a play party. And when I walked in, I was in college, I walk in and I just like was enamored. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool and so hot. And so as a three five, I immediately jumped in. I started looking for dungeon in the city. I applied to a dungeon and got a job there. And then I went and trained with a professional dominatrix and became professional dominatrix. And then fast forward a few years, I'm getting a little more spiritual. I'm learning about breathwork and meditation. And I'm noticing that all my clients are, all my um, dom clients are like a certain demographic, right? Like they're all like mid-60s to 70s white cis men. They want kind of the basics. And I'm wanting to go deeper. I'm wanting to get spiritual and do like more, um, you know, healing within that because BDSM has a lot of healing potential. And so I was trying to sort of open up my, like broaden my client base and it was becoming really hard. And then I sort of had this realization like, oh my God, if I was a sex coach, I could serve more people. And more people, there's like less stigma around it. More people come to see sex coaches. So I started making the transition in 2019, 2020, which was actually perfect timing um, because of the global pandemic to be um, kind of pausing like in-person BDSM work and starting to do like virtual sex coaching. 
So yeah, I did um, a few different programs. The one I most recently did that I loved was Jaya's Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough Coaching Program. And yeah, so I'm a certified sex coach and it's been amazing. And so much of like my DOM training has like translated. So I think the like sex worker to coach pipeline is like a, a pretty good pipeline. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. So what was it like being a professional dominatrix? It's really wild. It sort of desensitizes you to weird, weird things like like things just I'll be in a coaching session and somebody will be like, oh, my gosh, I have to like tell you the weirdest thing about me. And I'm like, babe, you can't surprise me. Before. <laughs> like, I'm, I've seen it all. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting thing. It's um, it's definitely like a very high intensity job and very it's very exciting like lots of adrenaline it's also a really fun place to like play with gender to play with power to play with sexuality so I learned a ton and the thing that I really appreciate about kink is like I didn't have a playbook for kink I think like I were given playbooks for sexuality but kink when I found it felt like this like wide open space so in my dom work I was just able to like explore so many different things that's awesome and um yeah no I love just the freedom of expression that's available there and kind of being able to jump into different roles and take on a different persona than you are in your everyday life. And I also love Jaya's work on the erotic blueprints. I've been a fan of hers um, for a while. I'm curious what you learned, uh, what you took from your experience of getting certified with her. Oh my gosh, I love that you know Jaya. Jaya's work is so beautiful it actually makes me think a lot of human design because it's like here are these frameworks for discussing how we can like quickly understand more about ourselves and each other and what I really took is like no one is sexually incompatible <laughs> like we're just needing to translate um so you know the blueprints there's five different blueprints similar to how there's five different energy types in human design and just once we know what our primary blueprint is and someone else's is it's like you can find the bridge to to communicate and so for me, it's like giving me a lot of hope of like, oh, people aren't sexually incompatible. We just aren't speaking the same language. And once we learn to translate, we can definitely connect on on a, like beautiful levels. Definitely. Is that something like I know I took that quiz a while ago and I think I'm like energetic and sensual or something. But I'm curious if that's something that evolves over time or if that's kind of like innate and it doesn't change as much. It absolutely evolves over time. And the idea is that so that is where it sort of differs from astrology or human design or other frameworks that we use. It definitely evolves over time. And at the same time, there are things that you may always have like as a core. So you may notice that you're always like high energetic. And then maybe at certain different times of your life, you're high sexual, or you're high kinky. But maybe like that core of like the way that you communicate and engage erotically is, is like always has this like beautiful energetic essence. Um, but things can shift and change. The idea with the erotic blueprints is that we all have all five and that we just are like predominantly one or two at a time. And so that's kind of how we can start to come into conversation with them. But yeah, they definitely shift and change over time. They're fluid. And that's one thing that's cool is to like work with people to heal an erotic blueprint. So some people have trauma around a certain blueprint. Um, and then when you start to like bring that into integration, that blueprint feels feels like easier for them to access. Hmm. Okay. So being as someone who is into BDSM, is kink your primary erotic blueprint? I love this. I'm I'm actually a shapeshifter. So shapeshifters are like, they can go between all of them. And then also the reason, like the way you know someone is shapeshifter is when they have like very high, different, like, like I'm very high sensual and very high kinky. 
also pretty high energetic, which because like they're all kind of neck and neck makes me a shapeshifter. So I can go between them pretty quickly. But yeah, kink is a really important part of my of my blueprint. And I actually identify like my orientation. When people ask my orientation, I'm like, I'm kinky. Like, yes, I'm pansexual, but more than that, I'm kinky. (laughs) I love that. I'm curious, like what, first off, what does it mean to be a consent educator? Yeah. So consent is something that I've, I've learned a lot. Like I really started learning about consent in kink space and then as a pro dom, and then also as a sex coach, it's become really important. I did study consent education with Mia Schachter a really, really interesting take on consent. I think Mia does an amazing job of breaking it down in ways that people can really understand and also talks about consent in a nuanced way, which I really appreciate. To be a consent educator for me, like I haven't taught consent classes like directly, but for me, it's that I I have trained in study consent. And then it's like a very, very important foundation of all the work that I do. So my coaching work, my facilitation work and my DOM work are all like rooted in consent. I love that. And that I feel like is such a resonant thing to be teaching in today's day and age. So I'm sure that um, it is very informative and some people really could benefit from that. Yeah, and it's it's fun because I think like I so often and I see in my coaching clients and, and in my DOM clients, like consent is a practice. It's something like we're never perfect at. We never like achieve this place of like, oh, I'm I'm safe or I'm consensual. It's like we're always working towards it. We're always practicing it and learning how to practice it more naturally, like having it be like a more innate part of us, like bringing it in and integrating it and making it sexy. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have an idea that when we're, you know, focused on consent, we're not we're not getting to be, you know, in this like sexy hot moment. It takes us out of the moment. And I actually think it's the opposite. Um, I mean, the word consensual cone is like with sensual is senses so with your senses with your body how do you move with your body and to me that's going to make sex more embodied kink more fun it's going to make everything better and so that's something I really focus on teaching clients in like every realm of my work I really resonate with that um it kind of reminds me of how like I used to hear about you know, every time you hook up with someone, you should have like a talk beforehand, like about, you know, maybe what you're looking for about sexual health and whatever else you want to go over. And I was always like, you know, up until a certain point, I was like, oh, that just like kills the moment. It like kills the spontaneity, like whatever. And now that I've done it, you know, several times, I'm like, wow, it actually like establishes connection between you and the person and like deepens that connection. And it fosters more intimacy than you would have had otherwise. So I really do love that, you know, connecting over consent piece. Yeah, I love I love that. I'm so glad that that's been your experience. And I think a lot of people like it can feel a little clunky at first. And then once you sort of get into it, you're like, oh, this is cool. Um, And one thing I always tell my clients is even if you're having the most casual pickup sex in the world, sex is physically intimate. So even if it's not emotionally intimate or intellectually intimate, it's physically intimate. It's bodies coming together. And that does take some discussion um, to keep each other safe and to do that in a way where there's mutual pleasure and mutual care, even if that care is just caring for each other's bodies in that moment. I'm curious, kind of going back to you being um, a professional dominatrix and the consent piece, were there ever times where you felt like you know, uh, maybe the consent was being like tested, the boundaries were being tested. And maybe that's a piece of why you wanted to pursue like this educating of others. 
That's an interesting um, point. I definitely have felt that. I think some people hire doms to test their domination and some people also identify as brats and brats definitely want to test and definitely want to find the edges and push them. For me, it was more that being in a space where consent was talked about so openly and so explicitly was really healing. And I was like, oh, I need this in other parts of my life. Like, I love how in my sessions, in my dom sessions, like, we're really going into the nitty gritty. We're negotiating. I know what to expect. They know what to expect. Um, There's a lot of care and thought put into, like, planning these sessions and then noticing how there were other parts of my life seven years ago, six, seven years ago, where I didn't feel like I had that voice or that agency and noticing how when I started bringing consent more vocally and um, intentionally into it, I felt like my agency was more present. I felt more empowered. Mm, That's beautiful. I love that that's empowering to you. And how has being pro-dom influenced your your work and the expression of yourself? Oh, yeah, very much so. (laughs) I feel like I, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I went to a um, single sex Catholic school for years, wore uniforms, all that stuff. I feel like when I was able to become a pro-dom, it was like almost like archetype work. So it was like embodying other parts of myself, as you mentioned earlier, role playing, kind of stepping into these personas. And I felt so much liberation there. Like I was like, and I also it like influenced my art so much, like my art got really erotic and got really sensual. And I think I'd always wanted to be using my own body to be making art, but that felt like so much permission. And I also felt like in the kink space, there's like this, almost this like giddiness around creativity, like a lot of kinksters, like are really excited by novelty and really excited by things that like they've never heard of or never done before. I think it attracts people who enjoy enjoy variety, enjoy novelty, including myself. And so it, it sort of freed me up to try a lot of things that I don't think I would have tried otherwise. Um, it's also helped me learn how to express in my body more, like how important posture is, how important a stance is, how powerful a single breath can be, things like that. Definitely feel the power of the breath. That's something that I've learned over the years in just um, calming the nervous system and something I still come back to. Like if I feel my body like building up with stress, I'm like, okay, just need to take like three deep breaths and I'll be okay. That's right. I love that. It can Uh, change everything. (laughs) Yeah, no, it totally can. And also I think it's helpful to people who maybe feel like they dissociated for a long time or, you know, have trauma in their childhood growing up and yeah, didn't feel the connection to their body as much. So yeah, I love that that kind of had the um, impact of making you feel more embodied. Yeah, absolutely. And also that like, I think so often when we don't know what we're going to do next, we rush or we like move faster. And so taking a breath is such a good reminder to like move slower, <laughs> like to actually give space. So as a as a predominant or as a top, like you're sort of responsible for the thing that's happening. And so if there's a moment where you're not sure what to do, I do this as a coach all the time. I just lean back and take a breath, like create a little space so that that wisdom, that clarity, that intuition can come in instead of like rushing forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a skill that you have to kind of be comfortable with the silence and comfortable with the uncomfortable sometimes. Because I know, you know, I have certain friends who will rush to feel the silence 
And I'm so okay with a silence. Like I love a silence because I like to hear my own thoughts and just relax. And some people are just, I kind of like don't talk as much as some people, but I feel like that is such a skill as a coach to have because it just makes you like, I'm thinking back on coaches that I've had. It just makes you kind of think a little deeper into the root of what you're getting at. Absolutely. I, I think so many people know what's going on and know like what they want to do and what they want. And there's this instinct to be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, actually, let's pause with that. Let's see if, if we sit in silence for even three seconds, if the wisdom will come through. And it usually does. Right. Oh, that's so interesting, too, because I have a tendency of saying like, I don't know. And then like, it's just my instinct almost. And then it's like, well, this and this and, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes we need a second to process or we need a second to know. And and also like, yeah, that's a game I love to play with my clients is like asking them, what do you know for sure? And mm-hmm. just that question is so empowering and so much starts to come forward. And it's like almost like, OK, let's put that like, I don't know, answer to the side just for a minute and see what's available. Yes, I love that game. And it, it can be so hard because you're so used to saying I don't know. And but that's such a cop out at a certain point. Yeah. And it's deeply conditioned. I mean, for so many reasons, it's deeply conditioned for us to not know or to look for the answers outside of ourselves. Again, with consent to like, you know, turn around and ask someone else like how they feel instead of focusing on how you feel or what you want or what your boundaries are. So I do think like bringing that back into center is such an important practice. (laughs) Absolutely. What are some of the issues that people come to you for help with in their sex lives? Oh, I number one is confidence. And whether they're calling it that or not, that is the thing I see over and over and over. I mostly serve queer, trans, neurodivergent babes. And so, so much conditioning here, so much um, understandable trauma. And there's so many scripts around heteronormativity and the way that we're supposed to engage in those roles, in those relationships. But there's not a lot of scripts for queer relationships or for relationships that are really fluid or moving or have a different structure. And so I see a lot of people who are in moments of major transition in their life, in their orientation, in their understanding of their gender and sexuality, and they're feeling like a major lack of confidence. Yeah, I think that's the number one thing that I, I support people in is, again, really tuning into their own knowing and sort of shifting and reframing confidence as an attitude instead of like a certainty. Hmm. Interesting. I love that. And I'm curious because I, I know I read on your website that you grew up Catholic and I'm just curious how that impacted your upbringing and like your spiritual practice now and also like even coming out to a Catholic family. How was that received? Yeah, I I feel very lucky in that my immediate family is very loving and very accepting. And I've come out to them many times, you know, as as a kinkster, as a pro-dom, as a poly person, as a pansexual person, as a queer person, as a non-binary person. I feel like I'm just constantly, every time I go visit my parents, I'm like, hey, update on who I am. And they're very loving and accepting, which is really beautiful. Um, Yeah, Catholicism has really influenced me. I think it's influenced my aesthetic. It's influenced the way I connect with people. Um, It's influenced a lot of my values. And I do think a lot of the Catholicism I was raised with, at least, is based in ritual. So I really love ritual without the dogma, without the like deep seated beliefs or problematic religious container. 
I just love the way that like the elements are used. Like I think if you look at mass as a ritual and you take all the like dogma out, it's actually quite a beautiful practice. And so that's really influenced my life. I'm really attached to ritual. Really love that and really respond to that. And then also I've sort of in my kink life have sort of like subverted and co-opted a lot of the Catholicism that I was raised with as a way of like reclamation, which has been really powerful. How do you practice ritual in your daily life? Yeah, I um, I have a lot of little rituals throughout the day when I wake up, um, when I'm in that like liminal waking space before I do anything else. I do a little body scan and then I sit with my known ancestors. So I sort of see my grandparents and my aunts and uncles who have passed on like at a table and we all sit and have a moment together. It's a really great way for me to start the day just to like connect in with that. Um, I feel really attached to my lineage and to my ancestors. It's been a source of great comfort and connection for me. Um, and then I have a little three-part ritual I do when I wake up. After that, when I get out of bed, I fix my bed. And then I do like a little blessing. Um, I do a little prayer for the day, set a little intention, have another ancestral moment at my ancestral altar. And then throughout the day, I have little rituals. Things can be as simple as like washing my hands before and after a coaching session or lighting some incense or putting on a specific song. I think one thing about ritual that I love is like, you know, people say like, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. I say like, say it till you feel it. So like every time you do it, it's going to have more meaning. So this, you know, this one song I listened to after a session may not have had a lot of meaning five years ago, but now that I've done it every session, it has a lot of meaning. And then I also have like a nighttime ritual, which is much more focused and based in like self-care, like a skincare ritual that, you know, you can turn any ritual into um, a spiritual or a connective ritual. And so doing things like that. And then I also have like moon rituals and bigger rituals that I do. But yeah, those daily ones are very nourishing. And they're also very small. Like they're easy to kind of like pick up and do every day. Yeah, that's really intriguing about sitting down with your ancestors. I'm curious how you first got into that or started like connecting to them. And I know that they kind of say, keep going, even when you don't aren't sure if you're hearing something. But I don't know. How did you establish that practice? Yeah, five years ago, I started feeling really interested in my ancestry and where I came from in um, not just like my immediate family, but like before. What, what was before? What did I not know? Um, and so I started getting really interested in that. A friend of mine was doing a medium chip training. And so they offered me a session as part of their practice. And the session was really powerful. A known ancestor came forward and it was like, I really felt my great grandmother's presence. I had known her in my life. She passed away when I was 15 or 16. And she came forward and it was really powerful and felt very connective. And so that sort of got me interested. And I did a little research and I like set up an altar, very simple with like a candle and some water and roses. And then I just started sort of like sitting at the altar when I could. And again, like you said, like, wait till you make it, like doing it, just seeing how it feels. And then after about a year of very casually doing that, I found Dr. Pavani Moray's work. And Dr. Pavani has an amazing podcast called Bespoken Bones, does a ton of ancestral work. And also is very open-minded when it comes to sexuality and erotic wellness. Dr. Pavni is also a queer trans person, and I felt really drawn to Pavni's work. And when I was when I was like getting in into Pavni's work, I noticed that they had a year-long ritualistic-based program around ancestors. And so I did that with them. It was called Tending the Bones. It was very powerful. And we met monthly for 13 months. And I feel like that's really where I deepened that relationship in such a such a big way. And then in the past year, both of my 
uh, grandmothers have passed on. I was lucky enough to know them into my 30s, um, which feels really like I feel very blessed about that. So in the last year, they've both passed on. And in that grief, it felt really good to reach for them and to start seeing them as with my other ancestors that I've been connected to. That's really beautiful. I've felt connection to a certain one of my grandmothers in particular, but not necessarily like other ancestors. So that is a connection that I've been wanting to explore more. So yeah, maybe I'll start working on that. Yeah. And another thing I learned from from Dr. Pavni Murray that was really helpful for me was like using those known ancestors as the connection to the unknown ancestors. So mm-hmm. asking the known ancestor to like guide you to the safe unknown ancestors um, and be that bridge for you. And that's been a really powerful experience for me. Yeah, I really like that. I'm going to have to uh, try that out. I've been really curious lately about how sexuality and spirituality are, I think they personally go like hand in hand. Like if you're very connected to your, and I'm using spiritual like loosely, like in terms of like connection to yourself, connection to like a higher power. But I do believe that that has a strong connection to sexuality. And I'm curious, what's your take on that? Oh, I absolutely agree. I tell people that I work with my three favorite things, which are spirituality, sexuality, and creativity. And that those like braid together to create like a beautiful, joyous, full life for many people. For some people, that's not how they see the world or want to engage. But for many people, those three things can create a lot of meaning and a lot of beauty in our lives. And they feel so interconnected for me. Um, so yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely believe that. And and also with that belief is like, you don't have to be having like spiritual like sex every time. Like you don't have to like, you can see the connection and still be having like casual cruising sex. Like that's, that's no problem. Um, and so that's one thing I think I also really have um, worked to pick apart is like that dogma so that we can hold all those things together and really honor them for what they are in their, their inherent connection or like what I see as an inherent connection without like forcing them together, being like, oh, if you're spiritual and sexual, it has to look like this. It's like, no, you can hold both and they feel very related to me. Um, right. It's not like you're going to be like eye gazing, doing Tantra every time you have the sex. Well, <laughs> if that is your thing, love that for you. If that is not your thing, don't worry about it. <laughs> what do you think is a common misconception that people have about kink and BDSM? Um... That it's violent or that it's uncaring. I think when people start to really get into BDSM, the thing I hear people say the most often is, oh, my gosh, it's so wholesome. It's like, yeah, we really care about each other. Like it's it's really it's like out of love and care for many, many people that we that we play this way with one another. So, yeah, I see a lot of misconceptions that it's like scary or evil or violent and not saying that it can't be in certain moments, but um, I'd say overarching the experience is like deeply rooted in community and care and playfulness and experimentation and pleasure. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like your, I, I guess you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you feel like your gender identity has transformed over time? And do you feel like there were always the right words to describe that? Or you almost had to like come up with something new to describe your experience. Oh, wow. Yes. I so as a kid, I didn't have these words. You know, I love that we have these words now and that they're a lot more prevalent and known. As a child, when I was three, I was like, I'm not a girl. 
I want to be a boy. Why am I not a boy? Like what what's happening? I was like confused. Um, and then when I was like seven, I was telling my parents that I had an imaginary twin brother living in my body. <laughs> like, I don't know how much more queer I could have been. Both my parents are fraternal twins. And so twins was really like a, a way that I could understand like duality and like not duality in the classical sense, but like multiple energies residing in one space. I guess is what I'm meaning to say. And um, so, yeah, as a kid, I was kind of coming up with my own words, my own phrases. I at one point told my parents I was like a Martian dolphin, who, like was born in an egg spaceship. <laughs> I obviously didn't feel like I fit in. And then I started to learn more words. Like in my 20s, moving to New York, there was more words, more expansion. And so I don't think my understanding of my gender, like I think it changed as I understood more words and more possibilities, kind of like how, you know, a flower is it's all there and it blossoms. It's like it was all, all the material was there. I just needed that. I needed that water and that sun to like blossom into my understanding. I will say that genderful, which is a word I love to use, is a word I got from my ancestors. I have since seen that kind of come into to other spaces. I've seen that re- reflected back in, in in spaces. But when I first came to that word, I had never seen it. And I was really meditating with my ancestors. And one thing that they do, one way that they communicate with me is like, I'll be meditating and it will be like dark. And then I'll see like a neon sign with a word on it. And so this has happened multiple times. Um, And so that was uh, maybe five or six years ago, they gave me the word genderful. And I was like, oh, that's really helpful. That feels really expansive. Another way I talk about gender expansion for myself is like being in a house with a bunch of rooms that are locked and then slowly getting the keys. So like those rooms have always been there. I just maybe didn't feel safe or like I had access to them. Um, and so that's been a lot of my gender experience and expansion has been like getting the keys, feeling empowered to go into those rooms, feeling like I have more safety and, um, yeah, like more access. Mm. That's really beautiful. And how has, how has your experience with BDSM kind of played into your gender identity? It's funny because I think I was exploring gender in BDSM before I knew what I was doing. Like, I think gender exploration in BDSM is like pretty welcome, pretty common. And so I was doing a lot of that without knowing that it was really gender exploration. And then later looking back was like, oh, I was doing another thing that happened for me when I was working in the dungeon was I was naturally mutually drawn to gender expansive clients. And we were doing a lot of role playing where like we were doing daddy little or mommy little play where it was like gender affirming. So we were sort of like playing out a girlhood or a boyhood that this client didn't have access to in in their like past. And it was really cool and interesting and really powerful. And then later looking back, I was like, oh, that makes sense because I relate to that experience. And so it makes sense that we'd like be mutually drawn to each other and then do this kind of like gender role play. That was really cool. But yeah, I think BDSM and kink is a really expansive and playful space. And when we play, we do try on different roles. And I think it does give us like access and new understandings of ourselves that maybe we hadn't had before. And I think it's really it gives a lot of permission to play. So it's like a lot of permission to try something on. And then and then if it doesn't fit, like let it go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like the incorporation of role play in kink. Um, I'm just curious as like a fun question. What's like one of your favorite kinks? Oh, <laughs> I have two that I really love. And they're um, one is balloons. I love to play with balloons. And one is food play. I absolutely love the joy of like a messy food place, <laughs> you know, slathering someone in icing or like wrestling in cake. 
is really joyful and fun and fun for me. Um, a little more serious kink stuff that I love is whips and ropes, but like the really joyful, fun stuff I love is like balloons and, and food. That's so interesting. I, I've not heard about the balloons yet, so I'll have to um, do some digging into that. But uh, my sensual shadow is definitely a little turned off by the food play. But I, I have I have explored with it a little bit. And I have to say it is fun if I can just shut that little part of my brain off. <laughs> yeah. Would you like a tip for that? Yeah, definitely. I think when you're dealing with a sensual shadow and messiness, a great thing to do is to set the container and set up the space, create the scene, and also have a cleaning plan in place and have it be like a like a very tight container of like, we're only going to play in the bathtub. And then when we're done, part of our aftercare is we're going to clean ourselves and the bathtub. And one great thing to do is to like line the bathtub with like, um, I just go to in New York, there's dollar stores and bodegas everywhere. So I just go and grab a like like a plastic like drop cloth that I can just like rinse off and reuse and just like line the bath with it, do all the food play and then like scoop it up, put it in a bag, shower off and then we're clean and then later clean that. Wow. Yeah, that makes it so much easier. That's a good tip. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think when sensuals have like a plan in place for cleanup, they're like, OK, I feel more supported. <laughs> like this mess is not going to like spiral out of control or be here forever, or like gross me out later. Like I can deal with it for like one hour or whatever amount yeah. of time we're looking for. Absolutely. And I'm curious, what's like one of the biggest takeaways or lessons that you've learned from your clients as a sex coach? Oh, or I, as a BDSM, I guess, as anything, but <laughs> I love this question. I mean, I'm constantly inspired by my clients to be more courageous, to do more things, to try more things. Like I, I think my clients bravery and like resiliency is just absolutely beautiful and so inspiring and also my biggest takeaway is that I think about all the time is the myth that we know each other and ourselves like we this idea that like oh there's a point when you're like good at sex and you know how to do things and you know how to relate to each other perfectly and like there will be no conflict and like the sex will always be great and like you'll always know what you're doing it's like we don't reach that point like that's not that's a myth and there's always parts of ourselves and each other that are unknown that we're still discovering. And if we can be curious about it instead of like upset or disappointed about it, then it can be actually like a really beautiful experience to be in the exploration. So, yeah, I think I'm just constantly reminded that like we are really tender people and we have major impact on each other. And there's so many parts of us that are just like still unknown, like waiting to be explored or called forward. So true. And that reminds me, I was watching Sex in the City the other day and Monica actually said, she's like, how well do we really know anybody that we have sex with? <laughs> and that's so true. It's like, I mean, how well can we even know ourselves at a certain point, um, let alone someone we're having sex with? So and like, what a fun game when you realize that you're like, oh, I can play into that instead of like be upset about it. And like, if you have feelings about it, have your feelings, absolutely move through them. But like also on the other side is like joy, joyful exploration. Right. And I love how it can change day to day. Like one day I can be, you know, someone who like wants to be ravished. And then the next day I can be someone who wants to take charge and be like totally domineering maybe. And I love how just the evolution and the possibility, like this is where the creativity comes in too, opens up all the possibilities. Oh, a hundred percent. I love that. So I'm curious if you have any advice for someone who may be struggling with their 
maybe their expression of gender or their sexuality, what would you tell them? I would tell them to lower the stakes. Like this is lifelong exploration. You don't need to figure anything out today and to take your time and to find people that you are inspired by. Find your like spiritual counsel on the matter. Start a mood board or start like a little vision board and just start like visioning and letting yourself find things that inspire you in a like slower, beautiful way with like, let the goal be taken out. <laughs> like, I feel like let it be a an exploration of discovery and not one to like get to a place of um, a solidified identity. I think that can be really helpful, like giving yourself a lot of permission to explore and play and not letting things mean so much about you can be really powerful. Mm. Yeah, that's so liberating because if you're like, yo, I have to get to this certain goal, then you're almost pigeonholing yourself. Whereas if you're like, this is a lifelong exploration, then it just opens up the possibilities. I even just took like a breath of fresh air. I was like, wow. <laughs> so I'm curious if you are promoting anything right now that we could share with the listeners and um, how to get in touch and all that. Yes, thank you for asking. Um, I have a really fun free workshop coming up on November 6th at 8 p.m. EST. And if you can't make it live, there will be a replay available for a week after. It's going to be about erotic mapping. So we're going to be taking the erotic blueprints and then also taking um, ways to like map our arousal and our boundaries. And we're going to be doing that together. Um, it's going to be really beautiful and really expansive. And it's a teaser, a little a little preview into a four-month program I have coming up at the end of November called Erotic Cartography, where I'm taking the erotic blueprints and I'm really putting them through a queer, trans, neurodivergent, pro-sex work lens. And we're going to be doing that work together for four months. I am accepting 22 participants into that group. I'm super excited about it. It's going to be a beautiful like exploration of ourselves and the blueprints. And really going deep, really going deep and also like having fun with it. Uh, so it's going to be like a guided exploration for four months. It'll be from the end of November to the beginning, sort of mid-March. We'll take a break for the holidays. But um, yeah, I'm very, very excited about that work. I think doing sexuality and gender work in groups can be really validating and really affirming and can help us make connections that we hadn't made before. And then I also always offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. I offer uh, pro-dom sessions in New York City, and I offer VIP days. So yeah, you can find me on the internet, on Instagram. I'm at MA underscore George, or my website, which is thekindlingkind.com. And uh, hopefully we'll share the link to that workshop. I, I would love to, to have, if, if this is speaking to you, if anyone's hearing this and they're like, oh my God, yes, come through. You don't have to know anything beforehand. You don't have to know the blueprints don't have to be partnered. I hear a lot of people be like, do I, you know, they have a list of things to ask me. It's like, no, no, you're all welcome. Amazing. That sounds so interesting too. the um, sensual mapping yeah. or erotic mapping. Sorry. Yeah. Erotic mapping. I think sometimes we think these things are so complex and they are. But when we start to see them on paper, we get like a lot of clarity and we start to know like what we want or where boundaries are a little bit clearer, which is really helpful. That definitely sounds like a useful tool. So everyone should check that out. This was such an enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Such a joy to talk to you. So great talking to you too. And we will talk to you all soon. Bye.